I was meeting with a group of physicians that would like to affiliate with our organization. And, and they were saying, hey, um, if, if, if we do this, can you go down the street and grab the urgent care center? Because what we do is all of our patients go to the urgent care center on the weekends. And I was going, well, why don't you have providers working on the weekend in your clinic? Because it's empty. Um, <laughs> so your your own patient, because what that happens, their patient, they say, if you get sick, go to urgent care. Urgent care is going to send you to the hospital. And what they didn't realize is the impact of what that's going to do. Welcome to the Disrupted Podcast with Scott Middleton. My name is Jamie Preston. I'm your host and back from vacation, all rested up, but busier than ever. Here's Scott Middleton. How you doing, Scott? Oh, gosh, Scott uh, and Jamie, I am just, um, I'm so excited about what's going on in healthcare. I can't wait to talk to people about it. We probably should do four podcasts today, not one. Um, but I'm, I'm just excited about where it's going, um, the kind of care. It's, it, it, what's going, happening right now is going to change the course of, of how people are cared for, as we've been talking about for a long time. Yeah. And, and proactive health care is, is now being paid for, and I'm really excited about it. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, it, it's really, we've been in a reactive system in the United States for a long time. We, we really have. I, and, and, you know, we, we've been working five for five years on helping um, healthcare providers and patients understand that, um, trying to help them understand that this is not about, I, I feel bad today, I'm going to my doc. You know, that healthcare has to be, I'm going to my doc and my doc's going to make sure that I always feel good. Mm-hmm. You know, so we have to be proactive in everything that we do. And I always tell our providers now, if if you are, if a patient is calling you, then there's been a failure in the system. Mm, yeah. You should you should be so attached to your 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 patients, and you should be seeing them enough to know what's going on with them and saying, "Hey, this doesn't look right. Let's go figure out what's going on." It's got to be proactive in every piece of it, and um, and so we just gotta we gotta work harder at it. Yeah. And, and that proactive plan and, and proactive style or model, whatever you want to call it, first of all, it saves a ton of money for Medicare, Medicaid, all of those, but it makes people feel better. It provides much better health care, keeps people living longer, keeps people living a better quality of life. Like who would not be on board with this? Well, I, yeah, everybody does. You know, I, you'd be surprised how many times, why are you seeing my mom again? Yeah. You know, you just saw her last week. And and well, because the way health care has been paid is, you know, the government pays pretty much for almost all health care or even mm-hmm. employers do right. um, or government. But there's still that tiny bit of this copay or deductible that comes out of somebody's pocket. And that keeps people from using this proactive system. Mm, um, yeah. and, and unfortunately that has been lagging behind. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting about it is, and it's been, <clears throat> it's been even hard through, through some of the models that we're looking at now to convince providers. But, um, <clears throat> I read, I read an article while I was on vacation, a pretty extensive study that was done, um, looking at this proactive model. And, and seven years ago, uh, they were saying that Medicare uh, primary care spending in this country was only seven percent 
of all the total spending wow. of on all health. Seven percent. That's ninety-three percent. It's crazy. 93% of every dollar in healthcare is being spent in hospitals and specialists and not in primary care. Yeah. Yeah. Today I was, I was speaking to somebody today at four today it's only four percent, Jamie. Wow. We've wow. reduced it. Lee. Even though the study showed that increasing it, had we mm. gone to 15%, we could have reduced the entire spending of health care by more than 30%. Yeah. Wow. I, I spoke to somebody yesterday. Or I, I didn't speak directly to them, but I spoke to somebody who was talking to them, and they was a friend of ours that they said, yeah, they, they went to the hospital. I'm like, why did they go to the hospital? And like, that was my first thing. Why did they go to the hospital? Why didn't they call their primary care provider? Why didn't, you know, and, and, and they don't live in South Carolina. So I couldn't refer them to SC house calls <laughs> or main street physicians, right. but you know, it's just like, that's my first reaction. Why would you go to the hospital? That to me, that's like the worst place to go. Well, I, I, I was, uh, I was meeting with a group of physicians that would like to affiliate with our organization and and they were saying, hey, um, if, if if we do this, can you go down the street and grab the urgent care center? Because what we do is all of our patients go to the urgent care center on the weekends. Yeah. And I was going, well, why don't you have providers working on the weekend in your clinic? Because yeah. it's empty. Um, <laughs> so yeah. your your own patient, because what that happens, their patient, they say, if you get sick, go to urgent care. Urgent care is going to send you to the hospital mm-hmm. and what they didn't realize is the impact of what that's going to do. Um, so, so I, that kind of leads me into, this is why I'm excited about healthcare. And this may be a little bit of a complicated, uh, um, discussion, but I think it's important because I'm trying to have this discussion right now with every single person who works in our organization to help them understand why Medicare is changing the payment structure. So Medicare now is paying and they've been doing this with, companies like Humana or United. So they go into contract with Medicare, but now we we are rolling into a membership with an, an accountable care organization is what they call them uh, for all of our just straight Medicare patients. But the way Medicare pays is in South Carolina, um, the average Medicare base spending. So if you looked at all Medicare patients in the state of South Carolina um, and they took all the expenses for the state and divided it out, it's $1,100 per patient. Yeah. So they spend $1,100 per month or like a little less than $11,000 a, a year on every Medicare patient. And that's for anything that's billed for hospitals, home health agencies, skilled nursing facilities, and primary care and, and specialties, yeah. and, you know, for physicians. So a thousand so, a month. So roughly, yeah, roughly it's $1,100 a month. But the way they determine it by patient is they look at, well, who's the risk? Mm-hmm. Who's at risk of spending more money? So what they do, like, because we take care of a sicker population than, say, you know, doctor's care does on right. some of their Medicare patients. So what they do is they look at what they call a risk score. So every diagnosis that a patient has has a has certain number of points assigned to it. Right. And even age, like you get I get three points because I'm over or point three of a point because I'm over 60. 
So, but every different diagnosis, and there's 11,000 or 15,000 different diagnoses. They keep increasing them every year. So every diagnosis code has a different code. So what they'll do is they'll take that diagnosis code. So if it's a a two, for example, let's say you have enough diagnoses to add up to two, they take the 1100, multiply it by two. Now that means that you have $2,200 is the estimated spend. Right. You know, for 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 the year, and so now we're going to be at um, twenty four thousand or twenty, you know, dollars right. that's allocated toward your spending. Gotcha. So every every provider, primary care. This is how they're going to pay primary care. They're going to say we're going to take every dollar associated with all expenses, and we're going to put that back on the primary care provider who's seen that patient the most. Mm. for the entire year. Right. And, and so we pulled the data on one of our providers yesterday and we could look at how much her providers have, her patients have spent Medicare paid out on her patients, $7.9 million on 371 patients. Wow. That, that was $21,000 per patient Mm. a year. Now remember the base is is roughly ten thousand dollars, right. right? So we go in and look at where she has the risk score, meaning what all the diagnoses that she's put in her chart. Her average for all of these patients is a point seven. Hmm. That means she's only getting eight hundred dollars a month in allocation, not eleven hundred, because it was point eight. Wow. Or point seven. So when we looked at that, she actually would owe if if we were in a full risk situation. But our our uh, for for her patients, our accountable care organization at the end of the year would owe three point seven million dollars back for mm-hmm. taking care of those patients. Wow. So yeah. when I went in and I said, but wait a minute, I know her patients. I know they are mostly they should be in assisted living to nursing homes, all these patients. Yeah. So I went back to a provider and organization who has, we have trained to capture risk, who really does know. And she's spending time going through and digging through all the diagnosis codes and making sure those are correct. And, and we've, so her, her current risk right now for her patients is 2.4. Mm-hmm. But when we went back and her nurse went back in and pulled all the records from Medicare and showed all the different diagnosis codes that she hadn't even attached to the record yet. So, I mean, it, she may have all this documented in, in the record saying, oh, Mrs. Smith had this, she was in the hospital and had these problems. Mm-hmm. But the problem was she had not clicked the box that showed the diagnosis code. So Medicare never sees that. Gotcha. You know, Medicare just doesn't go read everybody's records to determine how sick they are. They're looking at a particular code. So once we, once she gets all of those up to date, her score is going to be a four. Mm. So the provider I was talking about yesterday should have been at a four. She's at a 0.7. At a four times 1100, she has $4,400 a month or $52,000 a year per patient. Wow. She only spent 21. So she's going to save Medicare $30,000 per patient, right? Mm-hmm. And that is, I've, I've forgotten the number now. I've got to go find the calculator. So take 30,000 times 370 patients that she has. 
she saved Medicare, just this one per person, $11 million. Wow. Medicare is going to take half of that and mm-hmm. say, I'm giving that back to the provider. Right. So that five and a half million dollars basically comes back to our accountable care organization because mm-hmm. we don't we're, we're not taking the risk. Because the other thing is, if the three point seven would have had to been paid back, the entire three point seven, we would have writ- written a check back to Medicare for that. Right. That, and so now it's five and a half million. So what they're going to do for us is that uh, that ACO will give us a percentage of that. They'll they'll keep some of it for taking the risk and also they're the ones that give us all this great numbers. You know, they they help us pull all this data together so we know all these numbers on our providers. Mm-hmm. So we we now will get a um, we'll get a percentage of that and and they also though this particular ACO came back and said we're going to increase how much you get paid for your Medicare patients. So instead of paying us what Medicare pays, they're actually going to pay us every month a higher percentage. Mm -hmm. And they're doing that because they want us as primary care to see the patient more often. Yeah. More often you see the patient, they know by primary care, we're going to reduce the cost. So I had a provider the other day. So, well, Scott, if, if if we can do cost savings, why shouldn't we be cutting back and not seeing the patient as much as we are? <laughs> and I said, because Medicare already knows if you do that, they're going somewhere else. Yeah. They're going to urgent care, going to the hospital. Yeah. Guaranteed. Yeah. Yeah. You got to catch them before. Yeah. yeah. The, the best, the best analogy that I could think of on this is I, I, you know, when I used to work at a church, it was a licensed minister. I remember doing my taxes and I hated doing the taxes. And for a minister, it's different. You know, you're, you're, a, you know, uh, more like an entrepreneur or, you know, a, a, you know, separate employee. And I remember coming up at the end of the years and owing all this tax money. <laughs> and, right. and when you work at a church and you don't make a ton of money, it, it can be detrimental. And I think, and if, but if you document, you take the deductions that you're supposed to be taking, if you do all of it right, you're fine. And it just reminds me of that and thinking if I would have just done that right, documented correctly, I wouldn't have had to worry about that. And and it just really reminds me of that. Yeah, yeah. Back when I was a preacher, too. Yeah, you could deduct even a preacher could deduct their toilet tissue um, <laughs> as, as an expense uh, that they had at the parsonage. And I remember, you know, we I saved every single receipt and I put it into a spreadsheet and, yeah. or wrote it down back before we even had spreadsheets. Um, in order to to keep track of all that stuff, so I could reduce my tax liability. Yeah, but but again, for this, what's interesting about it, it's it's actually going to increase your revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and that's kind of what it did did for you sure. too. So one of the one of the things that uh, this particular provider told me, she said, Scott, you know, uh, here's here's the problem. I she said, I stay up till midnight now. I, I'm prepping for everything I'm going to do the next day. I have a medical assistant that helps me do that. And and we will I'll be talking to her at 1130 at night saying, hey, what about this? We're looking at all these patient records and information. And then when I go when I when I walk into like an assisted living facility, I may have 35 patients that I have to see. And, and I may only see them for a few minutes at a time, but I've done all this prep work and then I have to go home and I have to make sure all this documentation is done. And she said, I don't I, either one, I have to have a lot less patients 
or I have to have some way to, I don't have time to go in there and say, did I hit all these diagnosis codes? I don't have time to go digging into, you know, records from the hospital. So I make sure I got the right diagnosis code. And so I said, I know, and I understand your pain. And the bad part is these 371 patients of yours love you. Mm-hmm. They think you're the greatest thing in the world. And if all of a sudden I said to 150 of them, you can't see her anymore, you know, they would be devastated. It would divide the patient's relationship up. And so I said, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take another nurse practitioner and assign them to you mm-hmm. and what and you're well assign them to your patients. And then what she's going to do and she's got a medical assistant. They're going to dig in all these charts and they're going to put all that stuff in and she's going to go see your patient because she has to, 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 to do that in order to make these diagnoses. You know, you right. can't just, you know, willy nilly stick them on there. A provider has to do it. So she's going to then become that person in the background that's every time somebody goes out to a specialist or they go to a hospital, we're going to capture that. And she's going to go back and look and say, hey, was this correct? Right. We're also going to add to that same team of pharmacists mm. so that the pharmacist is assisting to say, wait a minute, let's look at all these medications that's been prescribed by maybe three or four different providers. Or right. you get discharged from the hospital with a bunch of stuff and then, you know, the providers having to go back and fix so by having this care team for the patient where every and that patient has, you know, one one quality nurse practitioner is what we're calling them, one primary care practitioner. They may have a doctor assigned to their practice or, or to their patient, too. At some point, he may see them once a quarter or once every six months. Um, and then you've got the pharmacist. And then, of course, if they do need specialists, that's OK. Right. But we just need to capture that information. Then what we think will happen is that the patient is so well cared for, we are anticipating everything that's happening. Mm-hmm. With most of our patients, we should be seeing them at minimum of once a week because something's going on. And then assigning these medical assistants who then will go through. And, and like I told one of the providers this week, I said, you this patient is so critical and so likely to go back to the hospital. And she, and she said, yeah, I think I, I need to discharge the patient and get rid of them because they're going to be a liability to me because they're going to spend so much money. And I said, no, have your medical assistant call them mm-hmm. every day the next two weeks, Right. every day. Did you take your medication? How are you feeling? Let me look at this. Anything that changed from yesterday? Right. Um, you know, let, let's look at your weight. Let's look at your blood pressure every day. Have them call because they're going to then capture something one day. You know, they may call every single day and, and find nothing. And then one day they're going to go, oh, yeah, you know, I, I, I fell yesterday. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Why? Right. Yeah. Well, let's figure this out. And, and as as a. As a son, Scott, my both of my parents, they've got a slew of medical issues. My dad's, you know, getting into an advanced Alzheimer's disease. My mom's had some, you know, tons of medical, you know, issues in the past. And she would be a high risk score, you know, as, as, as I think of their care. I would absolutely love somebody calling to say, hey, are you OK? Are you, you know, I would love that. But that doesn't happen. 
They live in Ohio. It doesn't happen. And man, I would be well, so and, much more comforted as a son. And and that's the thing that Medicare, I think, realized is that we know what needs to happen, but if we don't change the payment structure, so in one fell swoop, swoop by creating these um these it's called DCE. I don't even remember why it's called, but these payment structures, we their goal is to incentivize the primary care provider to really seize control. Yeah. Now, when I went to when I got my master's in healthcare in 1995, so oh gosh, what is that? Am I getting close to 30 years? Of, <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm I, I graduated from high school in 1995. <laughs> yeah, so so this is nearly 30 years. I cannot believe it's been that long. Yeah. So nearly 30 years ago, we were talking about what were they call managed care back in the day, and they were creating what they call medical home models. Yeah. Where where this exact same thing happened, uh, but they did it on such small scales, and and they weren't allocating the resources correctly. But I think what Medicare has found out is we should be using our analytics and our data to create opportunities to say, okay, based on this. So one thing that they they've done is the insurance companies. Now you remember, like Humana United, Blue Cross Blue Shield, all these advantage programs is what they call them there. Medicare replacement plans. They've been getting paid this way for a while, but instead of throwing the incentive money back to the providers, they got greedy and they said, oh, we're going to keep all this for ourselves, but we're going to incentivize the provider to get the risk score higher. That's all they really wanted. So they said, here's all these quality measures. We're going to pay you extra if you do an annual wellness visit. Right. The annual wellness visit should do nothing but raise the risk because we're going to say we're giving you all this time and this money to go back in and do this research. But then we had a lot of providers who weren't doing they were doing an annual wellness visit, but they really weren't digging into it and spending the time they needed to do on it. Right. So it, it did impact them. Um, but so I do think these quality measures like having an annual wellness visit or having a diabetic screening or having a breast cancer or colon screening, um, all of those things are important to identify the risk and then also start to develop a plan around it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for example, we had a had a woman this week. I was with a provider and she was doing telemedicine call. And uh, the woman was calling to complain because ultimately she diagnosed her with a urinary tract infection. Um, and what she found, what the provider found, was she, as she's talked with the patient, the patient's been having some leakage. She's an older woman. And so she's watched the commercials on TV. So she went out and bought her some pads. She didn't change the pads often enough, just like if you don't change a di- diaper often yeah. enough, your child will get some you know, rashes and that kind of stuff. So um, she didn't change her pad often enough, and she got a urinary tract infection. Right. So the provider was going, okay, I'm going to write you an antibiotic prescription. But what she also said is, I wonder what's causing this. Mm. Yeah. You know. And so she was able, because we have a software called Navina. And it will allow her to click one button and see every diagnosis that she's ever had in at least an hour system, you know, right. uh, there she clicked on it. And the woman had had um, a um, she had had cervical cancer. Wow. So now she's going, huh? So the question would be, if we 
if she has, if she, if it's reoccurred, we need to check. But if it's reoccurred, her cervical cancer diagnosis would bump her up one or two points, mm-hmm. right? But it, which does one thing it is it allocates more money if she gets sick, right? You know, for Medicaid. But two, it says to us, all right, what are we going to do? Right? Do, do we what, do we want to work at? Does she want a curative? You know, or is she old enough to say? Hey, I don't want to go through all that stuff again. But I mean, now we've got palliative services, we've got psych services, social worker, whatever we need to do to make sure that we are taking care of this woman appropriately and that we are compensated for what we're doing. Right. You know, in, in light of that. Yeah. Yeah. Because essentially, what you've really done, you've taken a hospital system, but put it into a primary care system with all of those resources and all of those, you know, people, uh, to make, to accept, to, instead of reacting, you're, you know, preventing these things with that same system. Right. So, so we've learned it because, you know, from day one, when I started assisted living, I had nurses in the building Yeah. and I, and I never got compensated for that. Assisted living doesn't compensate you for, um, for having a nurse in there, but I always felt it felt it was good quality of care. They were doing they were they were doing the care plans. They were monitoring the health conditions of the patients on a daily basis. So we did learn that model by having those nurses in the building. And then as we moved into skilled nursing, the same thing. There we had responsibility for those patients, but we were looking at their behavioral piece. So we had social workers, you know, as well as caregivers, as well as physicians and practitioners. And then when you get into hospice, because it's so fully, it was paid by Medicare, basically, we're going to give you $150 a day back in the day to take care of everything there is to know about this patient. Mm -hmm. So it did teach us this whole integrated model that sometimes it's as much the issue related to their social and mental well-being um, that's having an impact on it. Uh, That's what we're trying to create with South Carolina House Calls and now Main Street Physicians, you know, to make sure that they have everything they need Mm -hmm. Um, and their structures to pay for it. Like chronic care management uh, is the one we're rolling out right right now, because like I said, if I have that um, if I have that medical assistant call your family every single day, they can log minutes that can be billed to Medicare. It's not a whole lot of money, right. but it's enough to make it worth the while and help us to compensate and pay for a person to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the year, if we saved Medicare money we, and, and based on what those risk scores were, mm-hmm. then we get compensated bonuses for that. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Scott, let's, let's take two scenarios here. Let's, what would you say to a provider in this system right now? What would you say to them? And then what would you say to a family member or or a patient, you know, about this system? Let's start with the provider. What would you say to them? Um, Well, I would say to, I would say to the provider, first of all, is that you can't do it all by yourself. And yeah. and we used to play that, you know, my my great great grandfather was the only doctor in the entire county in Kentucky, mm-hmm. the only. Yeah. Um, he he was the only one. He had to do everything. Yeah. Um, no longer can you do that. There's too much data. There's too much information. So I have to say to a provider, 
is there's a lot of resources available for you now. You're, you could have medical assistance, but you but you also have to integrate yourself with the specialist, with the, the pharmacist, with the having another person look behind every single patient. Another sure. provider has got to be, and we're calling that the quality provider, but somebody has to be looking behind you to make sure that we have captured everything so mm-hmm. that we're We've got a clear picture to Medicare of what this patient looks like. So um, you've got to do that. Um, if you don't, then then here, well, as an example, I was talking to a guy. He is uh, he's part of a um, an ACO group, and he was saying that we we the ACO, this accountable care organization, is so excited. We were doing so well through the year. It was a, it was smaller, so, um, and so their risks were were higher. But they were fully at risk. These this doctor's practice, and they thought they were going to do so well this year, and they're going to make a bonus. They had a patient that crashed and burned, and six million dollars in Medicare spending on this patient. Wow. And, and not only did it wipe out everything they had saved for all their other patients, they had to pay Medicare money back. Mm. So th- then, then they had to go back and say, what could I have done? Where did I miss the boat with this patient? But now what do I have to implement if that doesn't happen over and over? And, and so what I will tell you the experts tell me, and you can Google this all day long and read articles, is – more patient contact. Yeah. So we had a patient the other day, they had spent $250,000 this year. Mm. Medicare paid $250,000 on them. And we went to see the patient, it was a brand new patient, and we set the next appointment for three months. Right. Now, I would dare say this person had spent that much money, that's a lot of money. Remember, we get allocated, roughly Medicare allocates $10,000 a year. <laughs> They spent 250 and every one of our providers has a patient like that. Mm-hmm. So one we had, and, and we, and our risk score for that patient after that first visit was a 0.3. Mm, wow. And like I said, I, I'm a 0.3. So they did not capture the appropriate diagnosis. So you yeah. can diagnose somebody, for example, diabetes. And if you don't specify whatever's going on with that diabetes, you get no points. Yeah. Right. So again, you got to learn the processes. Yeah, absolutely. Scott, what would you say to patients, you know, that, you know, they're in this system? (laughs) Well, what I would say to a patient right now, hopefully copays and deductibles go away one day and patient doesn't care. Mm -hmm. But what I would say to a patient right now is that um, your copay or deductible to your primary care provider is a lot better spent money than your copay to go to the hospital. Yeah. So if you think about every time you go to the hospital, it's at least two thousand dollars that's mm-hmm. coming out of your pocket. Yeah. Unless you have great, if you have a great insurance program, like my dad has an in, he, and we probably pay way too much for this, but he has Medicare Part D, so he's paying whatever that two hundred dollars. A month is, and then he pay, has a supplement. He pays another, I think, four hundred dollars a month too. Mm. But he has two hundred dollars, roughly two hundred dollars out of pocket expense every year. Yeah. So he's prepaying it all. He's throwing that money back in, and and saying, and he's eighty eight years old. Right. So he he's saying here here it here here is all of this uh, money ahead of time. So for him, he doesn't care 
how often he goes to the doctor. And he's been sick, you know, over the last year and a half. And so he's had a lot of visits. He's been seen for a while. He was being seen every single week by his provider. And and guess what? This guy's 88 years old, major surgery, as I've shared with y'all before, had colon cancer last year, two major surgeries within three days. And he is now playing golf outside, inside. He is the most active. Like mm-hmm. he beat me playing golf outside a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> um, he's better than me, though. He practices every day. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it, but that's to me, that's quality of life. Yeah. That's I hate 80. I, I can't. I'm excited. The fact that that 30 years from now. Um, or 25, he's 25 years older than me, 25 years from now, I'm still going to be doing that. Yeah, That's what I want to be. Right. I don't care if I die at 90 or 88 or whatever. I don't, as long as I'm healthy and I can do what I need to do, we can get you there. Yeah. Right. You know, accept the services, pharmacy consult, and then taking your medications appropriately every day, Throw those damn pill planners away. Use our pharmacy that will that will dispense all the pills in a pill planner for mm-hmm. you. Yeah. <laughs> so so then if something changes, we are actually able to say, hey, take the little yellow pill out. Right. <laughs> Which we can't do if you fill your own pill planner and you go to five different pharmacies because they all have different color pills. So um, you know, I think just getting people in regiments. Mm-hmm. And and getting them to accept the fact that we have a care team that's going to take care of you. Yeah. It's not just one person. Right. It has to be a care team. Yeah. Yeah. And life will get a lot better because of it. Yeah. I mean, my dad's as healthy as can right now because we got, we have had a pharmacist and a dietitian mm-hmm. that have been working alongside his physician. And they it, it, together have, have pulled together what he needed to have and how he needed to do. Yeah. And that's what's kept him kept him going yeah absolutely that's tremendous scott thanks for your passion and uh you know continue to disrupt healthcare. you know i think that's yes that's what you're doing you got to keep disrupting it and and it will get better and better and the sky's the limit on where where you can take this thing yeah we're i'm very excited and especially that medicare got on board yeah medicare's driving this and i'm very proud of the of that system that what what we have and we've had some really smart people there um analyzing the data and then pointing us in the right direction so uh, that's hard you know for me to say you know with anything else in government (laughs) right now (laughs) (laughs) almost any time but yes that's moving good all right thanks jamie appreciate uh your time and, and effort in this and uh get feedback and let me know what i need to disrupt next week <laughs> absolutely thanks scott right. have a good day bye thanks for listening and if you could leave us a five-star review we would really appreciate it visit our podcast website at the disruptedpodcast.com. you can also subscribe to one of our other podcasts in our podcast network the ltc university podcast experiencing healthcare with matt stop and the thriving practitioner podcast thanks again for listening and we'll be back next week with a new episode have a great week